0: Off the Ball. Find us on Twitter at Off the Ball.
1: News Talk 106 to 108. All right, so it is going to be a late late Sunday night for a lot of us. It's an 11:30 p.m. start time for Super Bowl 53. It is the New England Patriots up against the LA Rams in Atlanta, Georgia. John Gonzalez from the Ringers on the line. Evening, John. Hey, how are you? Good. So this is a, a real clash of generations, I guess. On the one side, you've got the proven genius of Bill Belichick and Tom Brady bidding for a six Super Bowl ring for the Patriots. And on the Rams side, you've got two guys almost half their age in their quarterback, Jared Goff, and their coach, Sean McVay. Is this a night, you suspect, where maybe Brady and Belichick pass the baton on to the younger generation?
0: Oh, that would be so nice. I'd like them <laughs> to pass it on to just about anybody, younger generation, middle-aged, older generation. I'd... I'd really prefer that they just go away for a while. This is a long nightmare that we still haven't woken up from.
1: Yeah, they just don't go away, though. That is the key to this Patriots' side. The powers of rejuvenation of Bill Belichick are pretty much unsurpassed in any sport.
0: Yeah, it's true. I mean, look, I give them full marks. They get get total credit for the run that they've been on for, what, now? Almost two decades since the early 2000s. I mean, it's really... There's no parallel in the NFL. There might not be a parallel in American sports, period. It's very impressive what they've done. However, I don't know about anybody else, but for me, it feels like everybody outside of New England has to be experiencing some serious fatigue from this.
1: Well, It is their third Super Bowl in a row. They obviously won it two years ago, but last year, listen, you were celebrating. Your Eagles won it. Why why is there still the bitterness? Like, surely this is the chance to cement their place in history. That, like, everybody loves a comeback tale after the defeat last year. Belichick and Brady—they've gone. They've reinvented the wheel yet again. Is that not a good news story?
0: It's a fair point about the bitterness. I'm a Philadelphian. That's ingrained. You have to be better if you're from Philadelphia. But I think, uh, yeah, I mean, it's just—I'd like to see something new. It, it, it is really what it's about because it's kind of like there are certain movies that you can watch over and over again, but eventually you get to the breaking point where you need to give it a rest even, even if it is rewatchable. I think we've gotten to the point with New England where I'd really like to see pretty much anybody else materialize from the AFC to challenge the NFC.
1: Is part of their brilliance that there is, almost, there is always something new? That this year again, after the defeat last year, the style of play changed while Brady stepped up in the championship game to get them through in the final quarter and in overtime. Generally, it's been a far more overrunning game this year that Belichick is never afraid to change things.
0: Yeah, it's really incredible. I mean, you look at not only how they change things and adapt in terms of how they play the game, but also their personnel. How the only real constants on that team, aside from Gronkowski in the last few years, but the really only constants have been Brady and Belichick and everybody else has been rotated out. I mean, even last year, they make it to the Super Bowl and they get rid of some of their best skill position players and Danny Amendola's gone and they get rid of Dion Lewis and they just sort of reload and keep going. And you're absolutely right. For them to be able to do this with different personnel and a different strategy year in and year out. Nobody's done it before, and I don't know that we'll ever see it again.
1: One of the uh, things I think that unites great teams is that somehow, despite all their success, they still manage to retain some sort of a chip on their shoulder. And the Patriots go into this as, as favorites, all right, narrow favorites, but still understandably as favorites because they've been there and done that, yet still you see these videos of their leaving and Tom Brady shouting, we're still here, we're still here, we're still here, as if anybody could ever have doubted them.
0: Yeah, it's. I mean, I think even that, there was a video where Tom Brady and Robert Gronkowski after they won the AFC Championship were walking through the airport, and the two of them were just sort of smiling and shrugging and smirking uh, as though they themselves couldn't even believe it and i think that there's just at this point some sort of like air of inevitability with them in the same way that in basketball there is with the warriors where you just know that they're going to get to that spot and you know like it or hate it you i mean you have to respect it
1: mm. if you're not that excited then about the patriots been in the super bowl and uh, what about the rams and this young gun and Sean McVay who came in as the youngest ever nfl coach and, and what he's been able to do over the last 2 or 3 years
0: yeah, that is actually uh, something that I'm excited about. I live in Los Angeles. I think Los Angeles is a, a town of pretty itinerant people. You don't meet very many people from here. Obviously, the Rams only recently moved back to Los Angeles. So it's been interesting to see how the town has reacted to it. And I think in, in a way that, um, you know, it's very much a Lakers town. But mm. all of a sudden now, uh, people are paying attention to football again here. And, uh, you know, good for Rams fans, good for Sean McVeigh good for the organization. It's really sort of revitalized an interest in a sport that uh, had been out of Los Angeles for what, you know, two plus decades.
1: Yeah, it is such two very different fan bases. The Bostonians we know are absolute hardcore. LA, I guess, struggled at times to unite behind a, a single cause. It's such a, a vast city, cities within a city. And as you say, they're only back yeah. in LA for what, three years at this stage, the Rams? Yeah. Have they managed to get the entire city behind them? Is it, is it possible to even gauge that? It's
0: it, it's a tough ask in Los Angeles because, uh, again, there aren't a lot of people who are from here. So you don't have people who have that, like, really entrenched, concrete, calcified allegiance to a certain team. The only team that people really rally around here is the Lakers. I mean, even with the Clippers, they have this really strange fan base. Uh, when the Clippers, like, famously, whenever Clippers uh, players would go to Dodgers games here in Los Angeles, they'd get booed. It's a strange place, but I think to the extent that a, a, a team that's relatively new just returning to Los Angeles could get people excited. The mm. Rams have done that. I mean, people are talking about the Rams. They're excited for Sunday's game. And I think across the nation here, outside of New England, pretty much everybody just wants to root against the Patriots. So everybody's on board with the
1: Rams. Yeah, and if the Rams can do it, I guess like there could be a, a big legacy out of this. Like This could be the making of the franchise in L.A.
0: Yeah, well, that's a really good point. I mean, you, you mentioned Sean McVeigh. Uh, and that team being a younger team uh, and, you know, maybe New England going on its way out. So this could be, as you mentioned, you know, the baton that they're passing where all of a sudden, you know, maybe Jared Goff is the next guy. Maybe Sean McVay is the next guy. Maybe the Rams are the next team.
1: Mm. And they're just exciting to watch as well. And McVay is exciting to watch on the sideline. And it feels as though he is the coming force in, in American football coaching. For people who haven't been following him over the last two or three years, what is the key?
0: Well, he's he's a very sorry about that. My cat has decided that she wants to be on the program. No,
1: everybody's um, welcome. We get Kevin Kilbane's yeah, dog usually. It could be a bit awkward if. Uh...
0: She she like jumped up here to to say hello. Anyway, well, well, what's the uh, cat, what's the
1: cat's name, John? Ca- <laughs> she's a superstar,
0: international now. Her cat. Yeah, her, the yeah name she's, is, she's uh, going viral. Uh, like uh, Annie with an R in front of it. <laughs> anyway, Sean. Anyway, Sean McVeigh. I think it's very interesting that. Sean McVay, who's, what, 32, 33 years old, has come not so much out of nowhere. He was always uh, forecasted as, like, the next big assistant. But these last few years, we've really seen the league sort of focus on Sean McVeigh as maybe the heir apparent to a Bill Belichick. And you, you've already seen, like, all of these guys who have been his assistants or even, you know, uh, been tangentially uh, associated with Sean McVeigh, or even, like, met him one time and had lunch with him are all, all of a sudden getting – Hired for these coaching jobs, so he is like his star is so very much on the rise. Uh, That'll be that was true before the Super Bowl. It'll be even truer after the Super Bowl, and he's the guy that we'll be watching for the next you know decade or so. Uh,
1: And what is that? What what is the ability? Is it his meticulous preparation? Is it his ability to react to things that are happening on the field?
0: I think it's a combination of things. I mean, you you see a lot in the same way that we give Bill Belichick credit for adapting to the opposition, for changing up his tactics. Uh, Sean McVay has shown a propensity for that. He's a bit of a gambler in certain situations. Like some coaches like to play conservatively. Last year we saw Doug Peterson be a gambler. This year it's been Sean McVay. And also I think there's a real attachment and association with just like interpersonal communication with his players. You hear over and over again uh, that he is a great communicator, that he understands his players. Maybe that's because they're of similar age. Uh, But all of those things in conjunction with each other make for a really good mix.
1: What, what sort of personality is he? We look at Bill Belichick and there's always a sense that he's an evil genius. What's what's McVay like? I think you could
0: strip away the evil part and leave the genius part. Uh, uh, he's very well liked. He's personable. Uh, he's easy to talk to from a media standpoint. And again, uh, the fans and the players seem to gravitate towards him. I think he's almost... Bill Belichick is very gruff with the media. He's very gruff in public. He doesn't really uh, like answering questions or... Um, you know, really talking about anything that isn't football in that day's game, and and you know, working with his players on the game plan, and and McVeigh has a propensity to, you know, be much more open
1: and candid. We have a text in from Phil in Sacramento, who's living in Tullamore in the Midlands here in Ireland, two very, very uh, different places. And this Hi. probably touches on the nub of what a lot of the conversations this week have been about ahead of the Super Bowl. Does Sean McVeigh need to come up with trick plays to upset the Patriots' brains? Trust the Patriots always seem to be able to scheme teams to death. They did it to the Chiefs. And as good as Sean McVeigh is as a brilliant offensive coach, Bill Belichick's had a couple of weeks to watch everything that the Rams have done. There's a general sense that McVeigh's going to have to come up with something that Belichick or nobody's seen before.
0: Yeah, I think that that's fair. I mean, that's something that happened last year in last year's Super Bowl, not to harp on the Eagles, but the Philly special definitely caught the Patriots by surprise, caught everybody by surprise, and it was expertly executed at the perfect moment. I wouldn't be surprised if Sean McVeigh had some trick plays in his pocket. Uh, That doesn't necessarily mean that he'll use them, but it's possible that he's got something up uh, up his sleeve that we haven't seen yet, that the Patriots haven't seen yet, and as a result haven't been able to scheme for yet. But yeah, that's always been Bill, Bill Belichick's strength, being able to look at everything you've done and neutralize it, if not for an entire game, then certainly for the beginning of the game and make you... Uh, force you into halftime adjustments.
1: Belichick has consistently changed systems throughout his career. And I'm just wondering, when it gets to a Super Bowl, what he tends to do. Because everybody will look at Brady and he knows, and it's been proven again in the championship game, he can rely on Brady in the big moments. Do you expect he sticks with that running game that, by and large, has got them here? Or do do you expect to see Brady throwing the ball a little bit more?
0: Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, I think towards the end of the season, they were running the ball better and more effectively and more often. One, because Sonny Michel started running the ball better. But two, because I think it's a pretty natural uh, inclination for the Patriots to try to save Brady towards the end of the regular season so that he can be fresher uh, and not you know injury-prone in the playoffs. So now all of a sudden we're in a situation where the Rams' run defense is really good. Um, their defense in general is really good. Maybe this is a situation where Tom Brady might have to put the Patriots on their back one more time because in the same way that Bill Belichick can scheme for what you're doing. The Rams, I believe, will be pretty good at scheming for what the Patriots are doing. So there might be sort of a chess match between those two coaches that might involve Tom Brady having to throw more than maybe he's comfortable with.
1: Before I get your predictions, there's a couple of other uh, things I want to talk about. The the halftime show, we were at googling earlier on to find out what the worst ever halftime shows were in the Super Bowl (laughs) because we're expecting that we will have a live contender come Sunday night. Yes, yes. Uh, Maroon 5, dear God.
0: Yeah, they're in Atlanta, and this this, I think speaks to the problems that the NFL has had uh, culturally here in America. There were a number of very talented black artists that passed on the NFL uh, for the Super Bowl halftime show because of all the the cultural, societal, and social issues that the NFL uh, and America has had. So now they end up with Maroon 5, and I don't think anybody's excited about this. I'm not even sure Maroon 5 is excited about this. They canceled. They ended up canceling their press conference the other day because they've gotten so much heat. So, <laughs> uh, yes, what the, the world is now being um, subject to not only the New England Patriots, but this halftime
1: show. We have an even deeper hatred than most people for Maroon 5 in this country because during the World Cup last summer, they were... Part of one of the ads that played in every single ad break during every single match at the start and the end of every ad break playing a cover of a Bob Marley song that was quite frankly atrocious and everybody just wanted to murder them. So that is deep set in our brain.
0: Yeah. See, one, I feel badly for you. I'm sorry on behalf of America. And also, this is why we love the Irish, because you realize that they are awful, not the Irish Maroon 5.
1: (laughs) Uh, One other thing. Uh, Roger Goodell was doing his pre-Super Bowl press conference. And obviously, and this was part of the story as well around the halftime show and Colin Kaepernick. He said, I've said it many, many times, privately, publicly, that our clubs are the ones that make decisions on players that they want to have on their roster. I think if a team decides that Colin Kaepernick or any other player can help their team win, that's what they'll do. They want to win, and they make those decisions individually in the best interest of their club. Is anyone believing him?
0: Yeah, no, I, I don't think so. I think like if you're going to take it in a vacuum and say that individual teams make individual decisions, of course that is true. But in this specific instance... There is unquestionably – not that there's been some sort of grand uh, official conspiracy where the, all 30 teams or 32 teams got together and said we're going to uh, blacklist Colin Kaepernick. But I think individually that's the way that it's worked out because we've seen what would happen. There's been such a huge pushback from the right here in America against Colin Kaepernick. And a lot of these owners are, you know, if not officially part of uh, right-wing politics – you know, financially and functionally part of it. And so they're worried about what kind of pushback would they get? Is it worth for them, um, you know, the PR firestorm that would ensue? And so as a result, Colin Kaepernick, who was clearly better than a lot of the backups in the NFL, regardless of whether or not you think he could be a starter, he could easily be a backup in the NFL. And as a result, he's not out there. And, it, and it's just to hear Roger Goodell say that is really unfortunate because he's, he's smarter
1: than that and he's not being forthright. Has Kaepernick accepted that he'll, he'll never play in the NFL again?
0: I think probably. I mean, he doesn't do a lot of talking anymore uh, about this. He's he's become sort of a philanthropist. He's become somebody who's uh, you know working for society to better societal issues, and he's been at the forefront of this. and And as a result, he hasn't done much media appearance. He's just sort of like gone into this activist mode, and I think that is to his great credit. But there is a price to pay, and I'm sure that he knows that it's probably not playing football.
1: Yeah, he wouldn't be surprised if maybe he ended up in another advertising campaign over the course of this weekend.
0: Yeah, maybe. I, I hope so. I wish him luck. I think that what he's doing
1: is commendable. Uh, finally, uh, from Sam, a text in Lad's been watching the NFL this season and noticed the empty spaces in the Coliseum. Is a day out at an NFL game an expensive experience? Bit of a tangent, I know, but curious. Uh,
0: in Los Angeles, it is very much so uh, expensive. What sort of price?
1: That, well, in it, when he was saying about
0: the seats being empty, it's such a cavernous place. But the price just to get in, like I'll give you an example in Los Angeles, where the arena or where the stadium is, it's over by USC, the college. Uh, That's where the Trojans play their their football as well. Parking alone is $100 US just to park, right? It's insane. So then the tickets are, you know, a couple hundred for the very top of the stadium. And if you want to be anywhere where you can actually see the action, you're looking at, you know, maybe 1000 uh, and for the Super Bowl, I'll tell you that last year, the tickets that I had, we got them for free because my wife works for the NFL Network. But the face value was $2,700 for the Super Bowl. So, yes, it's expensive.
1: You were tempted to flog them outside, weren't you?
0: I wanted to. She told me <laughs> not to. She was going to get fired. I need her paycheck.
1: Not for your Eagles. Not for your Eagles, I'd imagine. Call this yeah. one then, John.
0: I can't pick the Patriots. Let's go Rams. <laughs> uh, 30 to 28. I'm, I'm keeping my fingers crossed for Los Angeles, for America, for Ireland—
1: for the world. All right. John Gonzalez. Great stuff. Uh, nice to meet your cat as well. Enjoy yeah, the game.
0: Goodbye. Hopefully Thanks we'll talk us. to you
1: afterwards. Uh, John Gonzalez there looking ahead to Super Bowl 53. It is the Patriots against the Rams. It's late Sunday night, but it's always worth staying up for. I usually stay up and then decide after halftime whether to give the second half a go. I think a lot of people are going to see Maroon 5 and decide screw this I'm going to bed Uh, so we shall see we'll be chatting about that again on Monday Uh, so the football shows up next Cave is in the studio Luke Edwards on the line as well we bring you up to date with any of the transfers that are happening on deadline day and we're going to chat about Newcastle's season as well and where they go from here after their win over Manchester City Off the Ball
0: Find us on Twitter at Off the Ball
1: News Talk 106-108 to